0: Welcome everybody to the second episode of this podcast series called Seeds of Opportunity, Navigating the Blue Economy. This series is a collaboration between Marine Conservation Society and Simmons and Simmons that explores the why and the how of building a sustainable blue economy. That's an economy where finance and policy measures are geared towards regenerative, rather than extractive, activities in the ocean. I'm James Merchant, I work on marine natural capital and blue finance at the Marine Conservation Society. And today we're joined by Dieter Helm to talk about building a sustainable economy around blue natural capital. Dieter is Professor of Economic Policy at the University of Oxford and a Fellow in Economics at New College, Oxford. He's previously chaired the Natural Capital Committee for several years. He's advised the government on the use of natural capital and authored several books on the topics of energy, the environment, natural capital, to name a few. Dieter's most recent book is titled Legacy, How to Build a Sustainable Economy. And this ties in perfectly to the general theme of this podcast. So, we'd like to explore this more with Dita through the lens of the ocean and the blue economy. So, welcome, Dita, to the podcast. Thank you for joining.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me.
0: So, a quick recap on marine natural capital before we get started. Natural capital refers to natural assets that provide benefits to society and the economy. Marine examples of this might include things like coastal habitats, such as seagrass and salt marsh. It can be creatures living in the sea or even the seabed itself. Healthy marine ecosystems provide us with food. They draw down vast amounts of carbon. They provide re- recreation and tourism opportunities as just a few examples of the many benefits we get from them. So to set the scene data, why should people care about coastal and marine natural capital? Why is it relevant to society, to the economy, or even in achieving political and environmental targets?
1: There are a couple of different ways of answering that question. the first one is to say, well you know here are all the benefits we get and uh, you've listed out some of them uh, but um, it's not hard to come up with a quite big array of benefits to us from you know tourism to food to carbon sequestration and so on. The other way to look at it is to say that there are core assets for infrastructure to our world and without them our world uh, won't function as it currently does the oceans provide the bulk of the surface of the planet they regulate the climate they provide an enormous amount of biodiversity uh, and um, they provide you know, all those different services we don't know what those benefits in the future necessarily going to be in any precise way so the best way to think about it is these are core assets we need them in perpetuity and it's our duty to pass them on to the next generation in at least as good state as uh, we inherited them and it's for them to choose how they use that endowment but every generation has that obligation to pass these things on
0: yeah absolutely um At the Marine Conservation Society we advocate for better protected marine ecosystems and species, cleaner seas, more sustainable fishing practices and so on and this is essentially for the health of the seas and the species in them but we do also see the protection of marine natural capital assets as fundamental to a sustainable blue economy and a recurring theme in legacy and your natural capital work more broadly is the importance of capital maintenance So could you please explain what you mean by capital maintenance and why this is key to a sustainable economy?
1: So the starting point is to look at natural capital as not just an asset, a set of assets that nature gives us for free, but assets which will go on delivering uh, their bounty forever uh, or for as long as it takes for evolution to catch up, uh, provided... We maintain them intact and fulfill our duty to make sure the next generation gets them intact too. Now, to do that, the typical way of which people think about it, so we must invest in them. And my take is rather different. It's our duty to maintain them, which means that we have to spend out of our current income, our current standard of living, what it takes to make sure that these assets don't deteriorate. And that might mean all sorts of things. It might mean all sorts of limitations on what we do uh, to those assets. But the core thing is not to say, you know, the oceans are worth the following and this stock is worth this and that stock's worth that. We don't need to value these things because we're going to need them in perpetuity. We have to spend the money uh, analogous to fixing the potholes in the road. We have to make sure that anything that we do that damages our natural marine world is properly repaired. And that's what capital maintenance is about, fixing the roof as and when there's damage to it, particularly when we cause it.
0: Right, I think that's such a key point that's not getting perhaps as much attention as it should. Uh, I think the approach of capital maintenance does seem somewhat different to the current language being spoken, as you've alluded to, which is more about quantifying the benefits that ecosystems provide. And then using this to inform decisions concerning the marine environment or even for building the business case in the markets to get private investment into ecosystems are these two different approaches towards natural capital are they mutually exclusive or can can capital maintenance provide the foundation that you can then use to bring in greater investment which can enhance our marine natural capital stocks further
1: well you have to start with what are you trying to achieve You have to get the question right before you start to think about what the answers are in terms of policies towards the marine environment. The question is how to maintain this stock of natural capital intact through time. That's where we start. Now, quite a lot of what conventional economics does is say, you know, look, here's a project here. We could, um, you know, uh, do something to clean up this beach. We could do something about this fish stock, etc. And it's thought of as a discrete thing we could do. And the economist works out, conventional economist, you know, what are the costs and benefits of doing that and tries to work out what people are willing to pay, what they're willing to accept to come up with some value to work out should we do that investment. Well, almost all of this does pretty great violence to what ecologists and biologists and science tells us, you know, ecosystems are systems. You know, the word is systems. It's not there by accident. And that means that all the bits fit together. The attempt to break it down into discrete bits, as if it's, you know, equivalent to a project to build a factory or a power station or whatever, is just a serious mistake. So you need to start with the systems as a whole and how they mesh together. Then you need to work out what you need to make sure that those systems carry on functioning properly. And it's a consequence of that, that we get the benefits that we get from them. But that's the way to start with. Start with the asset, asset in perpetuity. Start with the objective to make sure that these things are maintained intact. Then, of course, work back to the benefits. And important to point out to people what they get out of the marine environment. But we don't know what the next generation or the generation after it are necessarily going to get. So it's our job to make sure at least we don't damage it. Or if we do, we make good the damage uh, so that those assets are maintained intact. Cost benefit analysis, beloved of economists, is about discrete marginal changes, little bits you can adjust here and there. In uh, ecosystems, natural capital is about systems and how they fit together. And it's the latter approach which is so seriously missing from the way we approach the marine environment. And that's one of the reasons why it's in such a mess.
0: Yeah, okay, so there is some value in in highlighting the the values of these things and, and quantifying them to an extent, but we're perhaps missing the fundamental point of needing to maintain them and also we don't know necessarily what it will be worth in the future as well. To what baseline should we be working towards? How do we decide what level of marine natural capital we need to maintain and pass on to the next generation or is that one thing that the spending needs to go towards in the first place?
1: So. This is where one has to be pragmatic. You know, there is no moment in time when the marine environment was in inverted commas optimal and we are where we are. It's not a good place to be, but we are where we are. To my mind, it would be a miracle if we manage to hold on to what we've got. And if we did the maintenance necessary to make sure we don't do any more damage, if we could achieve that, then it would be an amazing bonus to try to get back to uh, some of the uh, characteristics of that marine environment that we had in the past. Uh, And if in doubt, leave it alone. So, for example, whale stocks uh, might well naturally rebuild themselves a bit, uh, but basically the line and the sand at the moment is at least to make sure we're not deleting anything more. Now, you might say that's grossly under ambitious. You know, you have to see it in the wider context. We're not achieving much in addressing climate change. The biodiversity losses on land and sea are really very great and ongoing. We are living well beyond our sustainable means and therefore just holding the line would perhaps sadly, be a massive achievement in its own right.
0: Yeah, that's true. A bit of a reality check there as well, I suppose. Finally, we want to ask each of our guests on the podcast about what seed for progress they would like to plant. So when it comes to establishing a sustainable blue economy, what would you say needs to be done?
1: Well, there are quite a lot of things that obviously could be done, and I'm sure lots of marine scientists can think of Uh, and marine conservationists can think of particular things they'd like to see happen. But I'd like to stand back. I'd like us to start with a proper natural capital account. I'd like us to look at what the capital maintenance required actually is. And I'd like us to look at the mechanisms by making sure that, uh, to make sure that that happens. So I think that we need both the big picture and, if you like, the very small picture. The big picture is to treat the oceans, to treat our marine uh, ecosystems on a par with how we should, although we don't, treat the land. So people now understand that we have to think about land use planning, for example, but they don't seem to think about marine use planning, although the jumble of competing interests uh, in the North Sea wind, fish farms, uh, fishing and so on tells you that there are conflicts and trade-offs that have to be addressed. So I'd like us to seriously stand back and think about system planning for our marine environments. I'd like us to think about this as natural capital in perpetuity. And I'd like us then to work out how we do the maintenance. Oh, and by the way, I'd like us too, to think really hard before we do really major scale damage. And of course, in that uh, frame is the new challenge of deep sea mining, ironically, in the name of producing minerals to address climate change through the supply chains, which go into all those solar panels and uh, uh, wind turbines out there. So I'd like a holistic approach I'd like an approach based on the science. I would like it to have natural capital as the core. And I'd like it to have baseline. Yes, where we are, of course. But I'd then like to think very hard about how to do the capital maintenance. And, you know, the good news is the technologies to be able to see what we're doing are improving all the time. Uh, We've got satellite information. We've got all sorts of things, everything down to knowing where the fishing boats are and where they shouldn't be this gives us an opportunity to move away from out of sight and out of mind to insight in mind and absolutely crucial uh, if we are to sustain life on this planet because you know if we carry on in this unsustainable way <laughs> the conclusion's obvious it will not be sustained and that's the choice that fra- that we face
0: I think that's a very good point to end on. If something is unsustainable, it won't be sustained. And I think what it will boil down to is whether we're willing to take these opportunities. But Thank you very much, Dieter, for um, sharing those insights. And if anyone listening would like to learn more about natural capital in a sustainable economy, I very much recommend reading Dieter's new book, Legacy, which is open source. So that's available to anyone, right, Dieter?
1: Yes, you can download it for free. And uh, that is my uh, wish and intention that it's available at no cost to as many people as possible.
0: Super. Well, thanks again to Dieter and to everyone for listening. We plan to release a new episode of the podcast every three weeks, every third Tuesday. The next episode will be hosted by our colleagues at Simmons & Simmons. This will be exploring the topic of international collaboration and legal frameworks for preserving marine biodiversity. So do look out for that one. And thank you all for listening.